really is such a pleasure. Sweet. Um, and I walked down to the creek and um, sitting there by the water and then coming back up and sort of coming back and feeling how lovely the land is. And I, you know, when I first arrived after so much driving, I was in a um, the sort of altered driving state. But then I <laughs> just really wanted to acknowledge before I began the spirit of this land and all of you in some way connected with it by living close by or by visiting here and um, just all those who've lived before us on this land and the spirit of the waters at the bottom just so beautiful and um, the quality of the air the warmth and honoring the blessings of this place And so I, um, I wanted to talk then about the, um, <clears throat> the process we're in as, as um, seekers of freedom or liberation or awakening, of finding the finding, the ways that each of us do of opening our hearts. And this line from Mark Nepo, 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 um, poem, he wrote a poem about unloving ourselves. And, and the sentence that really comes to me is um, how our work is really to unglove ourselves, to let go of the defenses that cover our hearts, that separate us from love and from joy and from feeling and opening to the blessings of our lives. Uh, the blessings of this being that each of us has been given and the blessing of the beingness of life. And one of the, one of the um, profound teachings for me, and I feel like sometimes I'm uh, uh, one of those groups that knock on your door, Jehovah's Witness. You know how they, you, they go from door to door and, th and they're, they're dressed formally and you can feel their passion for their Bible and they really want to convert you. And I feel about what I'm going to read to you in a way like a Jehovah's Witness because I don't, I, I over time carry it as close to me as they carry their Bibles. And that is the breakdown in the Abhidharma of looking into the nature of our consciousness. Particularly, particularly 
looking at how we can tell whether in any moment what we're thinking or feeling is true or not. Like, because if it isn't true, it's actually a defense of the heart. It's a heart that is shut down. And that's what's so exquisite for me about the Buddha's teaching is that he breaks it down so clearly for us. This is true and this isn't. And when it isn't true, this is what it looks like. So what's true and what isn't? And then the other the the other part of what's true and what isn't is is it's kind or isn't it kind? If it's true, it's kind. If it isn't true, then it has all the negative qualities, which I'm going to read, which aren't kind. So, just because uh, I don't know how much, um, I don't know how much Dharma you all know, so I'll just recap for all of us that there are thousands and thousands of moments of consciousness arising in each second. So this sort of stream happening so quickly it feels solid but actually we're a stream of consciousness arising and passing and arising and passing. And in each moment of consciousness there is contact. That is one of our sense bases is being awakened and that sense base is where that particular consciousness lives. So as I'm seeing you, my seeing consciousness has been awakened, the object, you, not to call you an object really, but you as a field coming into my sight, awakens sight consciousness or seeing consciousness. And then there's hearing consciousness as I hear the sounds which perhaps you did during your meditation at some point or at least the bell. Or touch consciousness on the body or the physicality. Taste consciousness, smell consciousness. And then the consciousness that we call um, comic formation consciousness, thoughts, emotions. So, on the consciousness of mind. So, at each point, conditions are awakening one of these consciousnesses. And in each consciousness, there is either wholesome or unwholesome mental qualities. They are either the energies that are part of the heart opening and coming into contact with life in a way that we could say can be described as a blessing. Not that it doesn't include sickness and death, but how it's held. And I know that each of us has felt this at some point or another in our lives, that how it's held is in that touch of vulnerability that's so sweet and intimate, like I'm here and I feel your life, whether that life is my life or your life or the life of the sounds of the insects or of the creek. 
whatever it is, whichever sense space is, is being awakened through that particular consciousness, in that there is either that open-hearted capacity to feel the touch of life, or there is the defense. That's one way of saying it. This is, this is, so now I'm going to, that's the sort of general description. Now I'm going to read the, um, just read it through. So there is contact, that's the first thing. Then there is feeling, is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. There's perception, the capacity to perceive what it is that's being experienced. Volition, intention. That is, in each moment of consciousness, there's the capacity to intend. It's happening all the time. Sometimes we're conscious and sometimes we're not. There's one-pointedness, which is the mind connecting with the object. Life faculty, the energy. And um, attention, a very basic attention of, oh, I can really, uh, I know what's happening in a sort of basic way. I'm going to skip over the occasionals. And then I'm going to go into what's unwholesome because this has been so profoundly helpful for me. In each moment of consciousness, when the heart is shut down, there is delusion, shamelessness, fearlessness, and restlessness. So, um, we... Um, over tea, we were talking about white privilege, but I, I want to first go to, um, I first want to go to homophobia because I describe myself as queer and, um, or gay. And, um, but usually I describe myself as, as a queer femme woman. And, a number of years ago, I was walking with my partner in a small town. It was a Gunkwit, Maine. And we just had this great day at the beach. We'd been surfing, had some great waves. It was a good day. It wasn't too windy, which it sometimes gets there. And we're walking, you know, with our picnic bags and surfboards and coming back down the street. And... Um, uh, and we were very close, and, and just for a moment we looked at each other and smiled, and there was a lot of love there, and we <coughs> held hands. And a, a man passing us saw us and said, Go home, fucking dykes. Like, Go home, you don't belong here. And... In that moment, it was so clear to me that his heart and mind were shut down and that he wasn't seeing the truth of my being and the beauty of my being. Why? Why wasn't he being able to see that? Because there was this combination of mental qualities in his mind at that moment delusion, which is the incapacity to see clearly what's really happening or what the situation is. It's this like where things are fogged up 
so that it isn't clear. And in the kind of fogginess of it, in the confusion of his mind, because he wasn't able to see clearly, came all these other also alongside all these other particular qualities of mind. So not seeing clearly, not being able to see the truth, shamelessness, so then there came shamelessness. And I've noticed now, going onto the other side of the equation, how when I turn towards myself with judgment, how there's always an element of shame there. He also had shame because he was communicating that in that judgment. He was shaming us. So there was delusion, there was shame. There was the capacity not to know that he was harming. There was no fear of doing wrong, not in the fear that we usually talk about, but that sense of, oh, no, I don't want to hurt. There, was, there wasn't that capacity, so there was what the, what the Buddha talks of, fearlessness of doing, there wasn't the fear of doing wrong. And then there was restlessness, which is that the mind can't drop in to know deeply the experience, because if we did, if he had, he would have seen our beauty. But it's sort of skittish. When there are those four, then there are also a combination of either greed, wrong view, conceit, hatred, envy, avarice, worry, sloth, torpor, and doubt. Just to name some of them. They're actually more, I don't know why the Buddha didn't put them in, but that sort of basic, the basic energies. What that's saying is that whenever we feel judgmental, shame, blame, um, envy, jealousy, uh, anger, fear, um, comparing mind, whenever we feel any of those energies, any thought that has any of those energies associated with them. So, for example, I sometimes um, listen to Donald Trump when I watch Rachel Maddow, and I watch that energy coming up. This teaching says I'm not seeing truly what's happening. And how do I know it? Because I watch there's some contraction of my heart, some subtle judgment about that human being. And as I notice the contraction or the judgment, I get to see, oh, there is something I am not seeing clearly about this human being. It is an amazing um, feedback mechanism for me because I feel sometimes so justified, Donald Trump, the way that he 
is the, what he communicates, so justified in not wanting to see his whole humanity, because listen to what he's saying. That man who saw us holding hands felt totally justified as well. When we're in our thought, feeling it's true doesn't mean it is true. And the way we can tell, my shorthand is, when I think or perceive something, <coughs> is it in a field of friendship? If it isn't, it's not true. It's just the, one of the ways the Dharma is described is as a bird with two wings, and one is wisdom and one is compassion. That's another way of saying if it's true, there's always friendship associated with it. If it's friendly, most often it is true. It's been an incredible ground for how I then get to purify my heart and mind. So just in terms of my own personal practice, especially in relationship, as I notice different things and irritations come up in my different relationships. Arena, if you're feeling irritated, how you're perceiving the situation is not true. That's kind of the ground uh, that um, has been over and over again helpful for me in terms of assessing well what is the invitation for um, letting go if it's not friendly let it go just that not that it's easy but it's the guideline is that clear I then just want to say one other thing around that because some of the letting go process I've noticed for myself has taken many, 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 many years. The trauma, that's one way to talk about it, that we have experienced living in a cultures of ignorance or we could just say what it means to live in ignorance is so painful that the defense mechanism around it is very embedded and strong. And so when we talk about renunciation and letting go, sometimes the way it's said sounds like we should just be able to do it like that. Okay, I see it, let it go. But actually, the, the, the conflation of wounding and hurt and that that ball of that ball of of tangle, the Buddha calls it a tangle, of of so many sorrows and hurts that have built up over time. When there isn't a field of friendship, have hardened, and it takes a long time to untangle the tangle in a field of friendship and let go. And so I want to acknowledge that because sometimes we get down on ourselves because we're like, yeah, 
I know it's not true, and yet I'm having the same judgment over and over and over again. Yeah, because that defense is so deeply embedded, because the hurt has been so strong, that I have to say, I know it's not true, and I'm on a path of healing, and I can't let go yet. That the contraction is so tight in that tangle that I know, I know what my work is, but I know I'm not there too. And I'm also not in control of the unfolding of it. So I experienced a lot of trauma in my family of origin. And it's taken me until quite recently for the defense around my relationship with my mother to fall away enough that I can say in general that there's friendship and love there. And I'm 65. So depending on the trauma, it depends on how that process unfolds. I said I would uh, talk about white privilege, but it's 8.30 already, and I don't know how long your Dharma reflections usually go for. So I don't know if you're up for an hour. So I was going to say another 15 minutes. Because it might be good to talk about it as well. So we are all born with ignorance, every single one of us, unless we happen to be born fully awakened. I don't know if anyone has been born fully <laughs> awakened, but, but in general, most of us aren't. That means we're all born with this mechanism that's living inside of us. It's constructed in particular ways according to our culture and what I describe as location the kind of place we've been born into. So all of us here I'm um, look white. So we can either we could pass as white or um, even if we're mixed in some way, all of us here can pass as white. And so that is what I call one location. We're all here. I don't know if you all identify as woman here. Um, do you all identify as woman? Yeah. So, so then another location is um, the location of gender, of being woman. So another location would be around education, whether all of you have gone on to university or finished high school. Another location is if you are an immigrant here, if you don't have... Um, uh, a passport if you're not a citizen so that's one location being an immigrant the other is being a citizen another one is if English is your first language or not that's another location these locations are important to name because the mechanism of ignorance is constructed around each location. And 
because it is, unless we name the dynamics of each location, they continue to operate in ways that systemically disenfranchise certain groups. So for example, if as women we've been we've been born we've been born into the location of women and it's probably I'm going to guess that you all would acknowledge that women have been systematically disenfranchised in particular areas so we're not paid equal wages for doing the same work that's it acknowledged over and over again in most of the situations of power corporate boards governments select committees in governments women are not equally represented by far um, when uh, woman is raped pretty much she's still blamed for it when she if she's willing to take her to court so systematically disenfranchised around those locations. So when we're in what's called the target location, for example, as a woman, it's very clear that the process of disenfranchisement is happening. If we're in the privileged location, so a man would be in the privileged location, around race, we would be in the privileged location, we're unaware of the ways we're relating and thinking that keep that inequality in place. And so our work, if we are really called to undefend our hearts, is to look particularly at the locations of privilege that we inhabit because we are in the mode of delusion. We don't see what we're doing because we've been conditioned not to see it. So I have been on a path, not so consciously, but somewhat growing up in South Africa as a white, as a white person being very conditioned to an entitlement um, of, uh, of whites there. And at the same time, because my parents were activists, getting some kind of dissonance that really helped me to see a little bit more clearly um, the impact of my own entitlement. So... Uh, for example, there was a wonderful woman who worked with my family as a maid, Lily. And I remember as a five-year-old uh, going to Lily and demanding that she remake my bed because there was a wrinkle in the sheets. Acting out the conditioning of what it means to be white in a racist culture and unaware of the impact of it. 
from my exploration as a white person, I've come to see that it's impossible to be white European in this country and not be racist. That it's that it just is something that we drink in and unconsciously believe and therefore act out. And so I take it as a ground that it's happening all the time and that my work as a Dharma practitioner is to begin to become conscious of the thoughts and beliefs that I have around myself and around people of color. So, for example, um, let's see, I was talking about some examples. Let me see if I can think. So, for example, I um, have been working as a, as a, a support for a large center looking at racism in their culture. And a story that was told to me is that there were a group, and this was a number of years ago, a group of African Americans who came to the door because there was a people of color sitting. And the person, the white person, opened the door and said, what do you want? Just because... Why would, you know, there are not that many people of color who come to our centers as a group. This center happens to be in a mixed neighborhood. So it, the white person assumed they were at the wrong door. Just something subtle of um, the ways that those thoughts determine our behaviors. Let's think of another one. Um, Oh, uh, there was a registration process happening for a one day and uh, two, um, two white people were doing the registration at the table. A person of uh, color who didn't have very good English was saying that there was something wrong in the registration process he had gone through with the internet. And the, one of the um, men in the registration table was having trouble understanding him. Everyone else behind him was white. And the person at the table said, turned kind of and said to the person behind him, can I help you? So <laughs> these are a little bit more extreme. Like, I just, I, you know, I can't understand you, so I'm just going to help the next person. They're a little more extreme, but they're people like us. People like us in the Sangha who in moments do and say things that come from this particular conditioning. So acknowledging the impact, the negative impact of it, but for other people, but also for ourselves, the ways that we have been conditioned not to see the humanity of people of color. In that process, there is delusion, shamelessness, fearlessness of doing wrong, and restlessness. Those qualities are always present in those moments of consciousness. Without them, 
racism would be impossible or sexism or any of the other sets of structures and cultures and relationships that disenfranchise one group from another. So, um, for example, I had a, a serious back injury and I went to a support group for um, a couple of years until I healed enough to be mobile in the ways I am now. Everyone else was in a wheelchair. And from being in that support group, I rarely have learned a lot about what it means to live in a wheelchair. I can't tell you how many centers there are that aren't wheelchair accessible, that just are not open to people who have wheelchairs and live in wheelchairs. How often when we walk into a friend's house do we think, oh, not wheelchair accessible. We don't because we're in the privileged location. That lack of awareness is held in delusion. All of us are doing it. And it's not because we're bad or wrong, but that this is the way ignorance expresses itself in our culture. So the antidote is to bring the beautiful qualities of friendship and presence to the exploration. And, and we can do it in a number of different ways. Who, was it you, both of you, saying that you're part of a group, that have been part of a group reading, reading about um, this uh, white privilege in particular? And, and bringing this beautiful wish and intention that is based in the movement towards freedom, that, that I want to see what's true and I want to seek it in the field of caring and love to the places where uh, we've been unconsciously conditioned. So there are many support groups in different communities. And, um, and maybe one here at some point can happen, or a, a day, a day of exploration around it, um, to look at it. That is, um, I think, probably enough for a complex um inquiry into this field and I think it might be nice to open it up a little bit but before we open it up um, I'd like to invite you into pairs maybe pair up with someone you don't know so well so um, and and take a couple of minutes and just Talk to each other about your own experience of being white, how it feels. Mm. Yep. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.